there, everyone. Welcome back to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom McCarthy. So happy to be with you. We've got a fantastic show this week. I loved doing it. I'm going to love bringing it to you. We got April Macy on this week's installment of the Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast. April will be our headliner this weekend. After I clear out a little bit of business and housekeeping here, to start off our show, I will dial up her interview and, and bring you everything you need to know about April. And coming to see her this weekend. It is a busy week at the Comedy Castle, as always. Let's go over what's happening here the week of August 8th at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. On the 9th, it is our Detroit to L.A. Comedy Challenge. show's going to be at 7.30 p.m. I finally have heard some feedback from somebody who said they took my advice uh, from hearing me promote it on the show and went to one, and they said they had a fantastic time. See, I told you. These shows are always fun. Again, it's a lot of up-and-coming comics. Many of them, it's going to be their first time in front of a big crowd in a real comedy club. And it's kind of life-reaffirming stuff. Most times, if I had to assign a percentage, I'd say about 85% of the time, they really rise to the occasion. They do well. They hit their marks. And and, and they deliver. 10 to 15% of the time, it doesn't work out well. Sometimes that can be fun as well, as long as you're not wallowing in someone else's catastrophe up on stage but it's always a great time and it's a really well done show uh that my good friend bill bouchard does so again this tuesday the 9th 7 30 p.m wednesday the 10th is our world famous open mic 7 30 p.m i did the mic last week and what a huge crowd we had raw weather storms it was like royal oak florida last wednesday and still a ton of people came out it was a great show and i enjoyed seeing some of you out there and saying hello then the 11th through the 13th. We've got April Macy in town for five shows. Thursday the 11th at 7.30. Friday the 12th at 7.15. The late show's at 9.45. And Saturday the 13th at 7 p.m. and 9.30. Listeners to this program will note that, yes, we are back, at least for April's weekend, to a five-show weekend. Uh, sometimes the shows get cut back a little bit during the summer months, uh, but you've got five opportunities to catch April. You do not want to miss her. And that's going to be a great segue into setting up my interview with this very funny and interesting lady. So I knew of April a little bit from the Bob and Tom show. Uh, also, she was on Snoop Dogg's A Badass of Women special. That's probably about 10 or 12 years old now. Uh, you may know her most recently, a Netflix special, Tiffany Haddish's uh, They Ready special. She was one of the featured comics on, on there and absolutely killed. Um, she also was on one of the early seasons of Last Comic Standing and got a lot of original heat and traction in her career from several appearances on The Howard Stern Show. So she's been out there for a while. She's got some real substantial credits. She travels all over. You're going to find out here in very short order uh, that she spends part of her time in Europe, uh, tours overseas, and just a real fascinating, uh, dare I even say, worldly comic. It's real interesting to speak to her about her experiences. She has done shows everywhere from Zurich to Barcelona to hosting the adult video, uh, the AVN Awards, um, several years ago. So she's done a little bit of everything. And you're going to hear me mention in the interview, I guess I'll just set it up a little bit and then hit play. Get out of the way. I know you'll be happy about that. Um, but for whatever reason, this weekend I felt that I that I'd done a sufficient amount of prep. Uh, watched a lot of her clips. Uh, went through um, went through one and a half of the specials, and for whatever reason, 
I woke up on the morning of the interview thinking, oh my God, I just, I don't think, I, I just need a little bit more. So I go onto YouTube and the very first thing I see is a TED talk uh, that she recorded that I just thought was fascinating. And a couple of the comics that I've interviewed over the years have done TED talks. It's something that I would like to do myself personally, but I just learned a whole different angle about her. Um, she's kind of a raunchy in your face comic. She's got, she's, she's, she's got a million and one dick jokes. She's, she's that type of act and really good at what she does. This Ted talk really just humanized her in a very different level. I found out that we had a lot of similar things. You're going to hear me some, share some things in this interview that I don't know that I've shared, uh, previously because she was easy to talk to. She shared of herself in the Ted talk and I thought it would only be appropriate to do that. So we touch on a lot of comedy. We touch on a lot of things. You are going to enjoy this conversation. Make sure you come out and see April this weekend. April Macy, everyone. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, on the other end of my line is our headliner this weekend, April Macy. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. I, um, I was so proud of myself yesterday when I was kind of preparing for my week and the interviews I had to do. And I said, you know what? I'm ready to go in April. I think I did a fair amount of prep. And then when I woke up this morning, I was nervous. I was like, you know what? I just don't quite have it. And you know what I pulled up? <laughs> I pulled up your TED Talk. And now I've got a whole different, I had to rewrite every question I was going to ask you. It was fascinating. So my first question is, how did you get into doing TED Talks? Uh, you know, I was doing a show in, uh, it was like Providence at the Comedy Connection. And just this lady was at the bar after the show was talking about TED Talks. And I was like, oh, I was like, are you doing one? I've always wanted to do one. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm hosting this TED in like two weeks. Do you want to do it? <laughs> And I was like, uh, yeah. So I had, I had less than two weeks to prepare. And it's truthfully, it's the most nervous I've been in years because I feel like when you're not looking for the laughter in those empty spaces, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. Like just talking without laughter on the receiving end. Yeah, well, it's you know, I didn't mention in our little pre pre interview there. I, I'm a comic as well. Uh, I've been I've been doing comedy now for, for 13 years. So when knowing you and knowing your, I, I mostly know you from I remember you from the Snoop Dogg uh, Bad Girls of Comedy, and uh, I'm a big Bob and Tom fan. So I know of you from Bob and Tom. So I know your comedy, and you're you're, you're a killer. I mean, you you've been doing it so long. You have all these amazing credits, and then when I saw you out of your element. I could, I could tell, you know, just as a performer as well, it's like, okay, let's see how she deals with this. And I found it fascinating. I found it endlessly fascinating. It's a relatively small TED Talk, but I also found out that we have, we have so many similarities. I, too, am a child who came out of chaos a little bit. And I, isn't it uncanny how so many comics have a similar background that they use humor to get themselves through? I do. I do feel like that damage is what made me what made me funny because I feel like in my own home I was like the pressure valve. There was just so much sadness that it was like if I could break that tension, making my parents laugh or my aunts and uncles laugh through the darkness, you're like it was it was my saving grace. I think, and I do think it is what makes you like an, a little extra sprinkle of damage makes you <laughs> makes you a little <laughs> makes you funny in life. You you have just named your next special. April Macy, a, a sprinkle little sprinkle of damage. Of damage. <laughs> make, make sure you throw me a few uh, bucks on that. <laughs> I will. It's uh, it is. I think that's what, I think that's what it takes because I can go over my childhood and I think it also like 
when you've been through so much trauma, like the rejection of the entertainment industry doesn't seem that bad. <laughs> you know, I never thought of it in those terms. So quick similarities. Um, I too am a product of teenage parents. Um, okay. I too, there was a, there was a fair amount of alcohol in dysfunction. Um, yes. I, I'm also a, a uh, adopted. So you mentioned uh, one of the things that kind of gave me goosebumps. You talked about chaos and abandonment. And don't get me wrong. Yeah. I wouldn't change my life for anything. I love my family. I love all the ups and downs that I that I had. But I am a product of chaos and abandonment. But you dealt with it in a more clever way. Uh, you dealt with it uh, through promiscuity. And I was thinking, gosh, why didn't I think of that? That sounds a lot more fun than just being an asshole. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my lady angle. That's what I, that's what I went with my teen years. But um, no, I just think like when I, I mean, both my grandparents died of AIDS. My aunt was a schizophrenic. I feel like the majority of my childhood was spent in like, oh, my grandmother lost her speech and only retained swear words. So I was like always going to like speech therapy with my grandparents or you know a mental institution with my aunt. So like when they passed away. I feel like my dad was super affected because my aunt committed suicide and mm-hmm. like he lost both his parents and his sister within his dad and his sister within like 10 days of one another. And then my grandmother a few years later. So I feel like they weren't present. Like not only were they teen parents, but I don't feel like emotionally they were present. So I, I turned to the wieners. <laughs> <laughs> now that's where I drew the line, but Hey, I'm open-minded. Maybe that would have made my teenage years a little bit more exciting than they were. But it is, you know, it is true. And I, and, and I, I give you a lot of credit for, for sharing your story in the, you know, you're, you're obviously a public personality. It's not like your Ted talk is going to remain private. And so many people, if your fans know you, I mean, you're a badass. You're, you're, you take command of the stage. Um, you know, you're, you're raunchy, you're confident. And then to see you kind of open up in this talk and I sense towards the end of it, some real emotion coming through. And, uh, it was, it was just wonderful to hear. I, I don't wallow in the oh. past, but when people share their story and it's uplifting, it, it, it really it makes me smile. You know, it's so funny. Like, I've been trying to do that stuff on stage for years. And I, I mean, I do. I feel like people come to a comedy club to escape. And so I kind of stick to the sexual jokes because I do feel like it's the one common denominator for like right. all of humanity. And but I feel like making that stuff funny. It's like I give those comics that are able to do it so much credit because I've been trying for years and like that level of like it's why like Richard Pryor it's like that level of vulnerability on stage is is truly difficult and it gives me a tremendous amount of anxiety so I know isn't it is it funny when you're I mean I'm sure in your circles you're you're everyone knows your story and they're comfortable with yourself sharing but when you do it on stage it's a little bit different you know I did um last year I recorded at the castle and I put a piece in about my dad that I was super nervous about um where a true story, our our mother died in a car accident. I was three, my brother was four, and my dad doing his best to keep his shit together and trying. You know, this was in 1973, so it was a totally different time, literally. And he didn't know what to do. And after about three months of mourning and trying to keep his shit together, he decided he would bring some normalcy to our life. So he brings us to the movies and he takes us to fucking see Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, two little boys who just lost their mom in a car accident and go go to see a cartoon about a, a, a baby deer losing its mother. And I'm telling you, that came up in therapy about 15 years ago. I thought my doctor was going to fall off his stool. Um, but 
<laughs> finally doing that and do and it went over for it's got to be funny or you'll just bum people out but it felt so yeah. good it was so cathartic no i feel like i have some of those jokes in my act and it's interesting like if i'm if i'm a little it's surprising to me after this many years i'm still nervous to do them mm-hmm. it's it's like i want to get into that space where i can make all that stuff funny like but AZ grandparents are very difficult <laughs> yeah it's a nuanced it's a nuanced humor and um now i didn't catch maybe i bipped out so i i know your grandfather um unfortunately caught the disease through a transfusion was that the same case with your yeah. grandmother well i think they still had sex so oh. my my yeah, they were still pounding it out. So my grandmother got it from from him just from, from sex. <laughs> what a naive Midwestern rube I am. I'm going to make sure that the producer <laughs> amps up my, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, believe me, we were just as surprised that Ed and Stan were still doing it. <laughs> but apparently they were. Well, what, whatever direction you go in, and, and, and I, I obviously you've 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 proven your worth with the type of comic you are but i fully endorse i fully endorse you bringing some of this stuff in because i found it fascinating but whatever you do make sure you uh, leave the um paula poundstone pantsuit uh line in there just just that line cracks me up (laughs) and thank you i I know we're just meeting each other through a, a phone line over over a vast ocean but Please let me know how I can get one of your mother's Michael Bolton prints. That was... Oh, my God. I've been telling her for years that she could be like the next Jeff Koons. Like, it's so (laughs) kitschy and fun. And, like, I feel like I have all these Michael Bolton scenarios she refuses to paint. Like, I wanted her to paint Michael Bolton uh, making, like, a bowl of soup with little floating Michael Boltons, like alphabets. (laughs) (laughs) Uh it sounds like you may have been tripping on some mushrooms and thought where can i take my mom's michael bolton uh imagery i'm just i'm I'm just trying to up her retirement since she she hardly has any social security i'm like we could run my dream is to like to do a reality show with me and my mom just finding michael bolton where we go from town to town we never find Michael Bolton. Well, you know, you've you've got friends in high places. Um, you know, I, I know. Um, you know, you talk about your association with Tiffany uh, Tiffany Haddish. Get get a tastemaker like Tiffany and some of those big superstars to pump up your mom's art. That's all it takes. I mean, gosh, art's pretty I know, subjective. I, know. She, <laughs> I I do feel like they're every time anybody sees her Michael Bolton paintings, they really they really enjoy them. I I feel like she just needs to do more of them. There has to be like a, just a wealth of Michael Bolton's. Well, you know, a parallel that kind of, I don't know why this, um, the, the light bulb popped into my head, but I was talking to a friend last week about dancing. We were at a concert and just seeing, seeing people dance. When I was younger, I would make fun of people, especially if they didn't dance the way I thought they would. But now as an older person, as a more mature person, it is a purest expression of human joy. I will never bust anybody's balls for how they dance or what they dance to. Just seeing people ha- happy and moving to a beat and a rhythm, um, I just think is so cool. I think armchair artists are kind of like that too. You know, someone cares enough to, who cares if it's not going to hang in a gallery, but they're expressing themselves through that. A very difficult, a very difficult medium too. I think I might take stand up over painting. Um, so I give your mother kudos. 
No, it's. I feel like it is like that with all art forms. Like, it's always confusing to me when people are like, oh, I hate that comedian. I'm like, oh, that person that gives up every weekend and travels the world trying to sprinkle joy and laughter <laughs> into your life. <laughs> like, that's the person you're going to hate. Yeah. It's like, even if it's not your sensibility, to me, the intention is so good and pure that you're really like, like, I saw a comic. It was like his friend had passed away. It was a comic I was working with years ago. And he went on stage the day he, they were, like, burying his friend. And you're, like, to be able to, like, make people laugh through your own grief. And I feel like I know a lot of comics like that that are going through stuff, but they still manage to, like, get on stage and, like, attempt to bring other people joy. It's like, I don't understand why people why people shit on some comics. It's, it's like, they mean so well. Oh, <laughs> Sad yeah. damage clowns mean so well. Yeah, I, um... I've gotten better at that. I had a slip up last week, actually in the green room at, at the castle. Um, I followed somebody who pounded like three scotches before she went on stage and did her whole um, seven minutes. And in in, I don't know what you a, a black scent, just a really a really kind of derogatory um, way to imitate a black person speaking. I call it a black scent. Um, and I was like, you know what? She does it. It's not. She's not doing it intentionally. She's nervous. You know, she she's only done it a few times. And I just couldn't I, I couldn't withhold the need <laughs> to say something <laughs> shitty. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? My my Catholic Midwestern guilt kicked the whole ride home. I was like, why did you even say anything? Just say good job. You know, the crowd will yeah. let her know in a matter of months that that's not cool. But it is my my overall thing is, yes, anyone who's got the bravery to ever grab a microphone and try and entertain people, knock yourself out. Who's it? You know, who's it for me to say that you shouldn't do it? I think the worst I've ever seen. I was in Kansas City and my my middle act was like 16 years old. His mom had brought him to the club. (laughs) And then this grown like middle aged man was like, you suck. And the, the kid had the best response I've ever heard. He just goes, thank you, sir. I don't have a father. <laughs> and then he went back into his act. <laughs> You're like, what it took, the courage it took for this kid to pursue a dream and get on stage is so admirable. And then the person, like, like, how do you not give this kid credit for just getting up there? Well, I think haters are going to hate, too. So many in, yeah. in, in the history, whenever there was the first critic, it had to have been long before Shakespeare, you know, maybe the cavemen in the caves doing, you know, <laughs> improv. But the first critic was somebody who just couldn't do it. And I still I yeah. still feel that way about a lot of critics. No, it doesn't. It's me. It makes me angry, though, where you're like, even if somebody's they're trying, they're trying to do something with good intention. Well, it you, might not be succeeding. And I don't think many people realize how long it takes to, to get good. Oh, <laughs> like, yes. So it's or if somebody's trying out new jokes, it's not that they're not funny. It's like those jokes that might not be funny yet, but they have the skill set to make them funny. Well, that's one of the progressions you have to make. It, you know, it's a war of attrition. You You have to do comedy long enough to build a callus, learn how to hold people's mm-hmm. attention. And if you're reasonably funny the jokes will come the jokes will come but just building that tough veneer and 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 the confidence takes a long time um i think that's that's the key is like you because i've had where i had a show this was in the netherlands right before the pandemic and 
I mean, the Dutch are not laughers. And I was at the point in my career where I've done well enough times, thousands of times, where I was like, I don't care anymore. I'm like, no, this is you guys. You you guys. It was confusing. Like, I feel like when you get further in your career, you're like, wow, I didn't even know I could do that bad anymore. Okay. But you just don't care anymore. My only parallel, a lot of the people who play the circuit I play, uh, which I boast is, you know, the, the, the B circuit of the upper Midwest in Southern Ontario is um, we, we have to play Canada quite a bit um, when we can. There's there's quite a few good shows over there. But even 15 miles north of the border, Canadians are more reserved. They're, you know, um, mm-hmm. bits that that just, that just kill over here in the States. They're having a good time. They're enjoying it. They're just not as likely to be as raucous and, you know. Um, so you kind of have to learn, but people, <laughs> people, people who won't laugh are, are a real bummer <laughs> to a comedy show. Yeah. Um, no, uh, I, I did shows throughout Europe. And to me, what was fascinating is one, the comedy scenes are very new in a lot of places here. It's not like London, but like I did shows in the Czech Republic and in Spain and in Zurich. And it feels like even from country to country, like neighboring countries, like the feel is very different. It's like the Swiss are a little more uptight. It's like, I felt like in Barcelona, they were very loose and like, it almost felt like the warmer the climate, the warmer the people. If that (laughs) that makes any sense. And then, yeah, you have to adjust in different ways and you're like, Oh, they don't know that even like reframing references that you, like I have a a bit about driving and fighting and you're like, Oh, they don't have cars. Everybody has public transportation. (laughs) This bit's not working. Yeah. It made me feel new again. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny, and that's a great segue too, because I have to mention in the four years that I've been hosting Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast, you are the most remote interview we've ever done. You, we are oh. communicating now from halfway across the world. You are in Italy. Um, I am. I think I, I think the next closest record. I think Dusty Slay once called in from Jacksonville, so you've you've beat that by seven thousand <laughs> miles. But I was trying to figure out, I I told you how I kind of changed up my prep routine. I thought I need just one more thing. And then I, I clicked on an interview you did on WGN three years ago. And at the very end, I found out why you're in Italy. At least I think I do. Do you own a restaurant in Florence? Was that Florence, Italy that was mentioned? Uh, We did. My husband had a restaurant before the pandemic and then we, we got rid of it because it was just bleeding money. And my husband grew up in Italy, but he's Iranian, so we dealt with the travel ban. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During my, I had to write, I wrote an LA Times op-ed to get my husband in the country, which seems super normal. And, <laughs> uh, and uh, so, yeah, we got rid of it, but we keep a place here for residency and health care. And he didn't couldn't go back to the restaurant because... When you come in as an immigrant, you have to wait for what they call advanced parole. Mm-hmm. So you're not allowed to leave or your visa is void. Then we've had to like apply again, which takes years and years. And then, yeah, so he couldn't go back. And <laughs> so that's, that's why we don't have that anymore. Well, it's, you know, you're, you're fortunate that, um, you know, I wish at this stage of my life, I always figured I'd, I'd be to every corner of the globe, but I've traveled a little bit and you, you learn more about America. The more you travel, you learn more about what's, what our strengths and weaknesses are. And, you know, just mentioning something as simple and basic as healthcare, <laughs> that there are large parts of our population that are going to have to go to other countries to have it. Oh my gosh. I'm, it's too early here in the States for me to get my soapbox out, but that that's crazy. No, it's, 
It is. I buy all my dad's uh, diabetes is insulin and stuff here. So, and like my brother, my brother had like a skin condition. They prescribed him like a bunch of like creams and stuff. And the insurance company was like, have you tried aloe? <laughs> <laughs> prescriptions. It was like they wouldn't fill them. He came here and like seven prescriptions for like giant tubes of like creams, not the kind you, you would get in the States, uh, were 90, 90 euros. Wow. So, and you're like, yeah, 12 to 15 bucks of medication. And it's like, I had, uh, a, like a, just some, sur- like minor surgery that kept getting denied, like some, some stuff I needed to get removed. And then I came here and out of pocket, this was before I had permanent residency in Italy, out of pocket, like as a tourist uh, for a full blood panel, EKG, polyp removal, twilight anesthesia. I paid 580 bucks out of pocket. Oh my God. No, I know. And now it's free. Yeah. <laughs> so it's better. It's, it's much better. You know, my wife and I luckily have very good insurance, but our deductible, I mean, it's, I got to pay two grand before I even, you know, get any benefits from it. It's, it's, it's just insane where, where things are going. I felt. No, I feel like that. And like, to me, public transportation, like just being able to take a train or, to be able to get around easily, like to not have to have a car is super nice. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, I, I got such a laugh of watching a couple of the clips on you, um, with you on morning television. I mentioned, uh, the WGN clip from a few years ago. Yeah. You are the, I, the, the host on the clips I saw. It's like their buttholes were puckered the whole time. Just knowing you and knowing your act. <laughs> Do you feel you have that effect on a morning television host when you do TV? It's funny because I'm like, I, like I've been around children, like an old people. Like, I know how to not be an animal. It's very <laughs> confusing. And it's like I've done morning, morning radio for, you know, TV for 15 years. I don't think I've ever sworn. Like, I've never been a swearer. And it's like, I, I feel like I might have dropped the word wiener, but I, don't, yeah. I feel like that's fine. Yeah, that's... yeah, they do. They're like, does she know how to not be gross? <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't have a with my in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a plethora of experience. I've only done it once, but it's to me, it's weird how people get into that line of work and they're not super. And of course, I'm generalizing. I apologize, but they don't seem real light on their feet, or maybe it's just because they're so nervous. You know, in today's world, one bad thing on the air could could screw everyone. But it's just it's funny, funny, just I, your presence putting like... people. <laughs> Yeah, like WGN, I do feel like they're they're good laughers, and they're yeah. but there's some where the questions are like so stilted, where you're like, "What's happening? Why is this?" Or they look at you just like fully disgusted for the entire interview. <laughs> just like a level of confusion and disgust. <laughs> so. um, the other question I was real curious about. Um, you um you go back to um the uh the Snoop Dogg special which I think was gosh that's got to be maybe 2010 or something if my timeline it's, it's it was a while ago but you were on it with Tiffany yeah, Hash. Yeah, I'm, I'm aging. I'm, my, <laughs> my face is melting. And <laughs> you guys um struck up a friendship. I'm curious at 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 your level when one of your friends in comedy reaches a level of success that Tiffany has had does it, are you still able to be supportive? Because at my level, I'm supportive of all my friends until they get a gig that I think I should have gotten. <laughs> Does that happen to you uh, or are you entirely supportive of no, each other? I, I feel like, you know, it's funny. Like I, with my friends, I'm the, like the most supportive because there's nobody more deserving than her. Like, 
like she's endlessly kind and I feel like she's just been like so helpful like you know I feel like she helped us with our Netflix special and made my dreams come true and I don't think a mm-hmm. lot of friends would do that like she and she's such a good person and nobody's more like I just feel like nobody's more deserving and has been through plus the work too kind of stuff Plus, I feel like I used to get jealous of, like, other comics. This was years ago, and I had a boyfriend. This was, like, the only good thing I got out of that relationship. And he was like, that hour you just spent thinking about somebody else is, like, an hour you could have spent writing or working on your own career. Like, oh, profound. Care- <laughs> yeah, he's like, who cares what other people are doing? Like, focus on your own lane. And and I, I feel like I just stopped. I stopped being... Of course, I'm getting older, so it's like, and I, I like my life enough where I think that's what I really liked about the European comedy scene is because there's not a lot of money to be made. There's no real level of competition amongst these, like, local comedians. Mm-hmm. They're just, like, the most supportive. And you're like, yeah, that's the way it should be because we're all just essentially here to, like, make people laugh. And if you – it's like you're only – you're only, like – racing against yourself it's like am i i feel like it's an old seinfeld thing where he's like i never worried about agents i never worried about managers or development he said every year i just worried if i was getting funnier yeah. and i think if you just worry that you're getting funnier every year then eventually like the cream rises and you know i have a really good life and uh, like a career that i love and a I'm, I feel like I'm super fortunate, so I don't think there's well, any more room. Plus, I'm old and rancid, so there's no reason to be competitive anymore. <laughs> very, very well said. And, and and a professional podcaster would say, well, that's a great way to rap, but I can't. I've got I've got at ah. least half a dozen listeners that if I don't ask my last question, uh, I will be banned. I'll be canceled. You might be the okay. only person I'll ever interview or ever speak to in my life that hosted uh, the AVN Awards. So <laughs> I've got to ask you, um, how wild was that event and how did it come together? Um, it was, I had done, um, I had done a bunch of stuff from Showtime and there was an exec who passed away a few years ago who, who let me, you know, gave me that opportunity to host. It was super fun, but I do feel like there's an element where you, they gave me all the screeners for all the movies that mm-hmm. like were, were were nominated, and I had a, a, just an unstable duffel bag of porn that if anyone ever broke into my house, I'd be like, what's wrong with this broad? But um, I feel like I'm a lady, so I have empathy. Like It was hard to be like award-winning butthole and then just have a casual conversation with, with somebody. It's... It was fun to write for. It was definitely fun because I was like... I could write the filthiest jokes like oh yeah that i ever wrote yeah it was like my two co-hosts had award-winning assholes i'm like mine never even won an honorable mention (laughs) (laughs) well now i'm turning into a professional podcaster because that's a perfect way to rap (laughs) that's a perfect idea Well, April, I've, you know, not only enjoyed speaking with you, but I really, again, I did enjoy the the, the prep and the fact that I stumbled into that TED Talk uh, when I thought I had everything figured out uh, was a lot of fun. So I thank you for that. And I, if all goes well, you're going to have a great Aww. weekend. I hope to come up to the club and say hello on Thursday. If not, I hope I hope our paths cross at some point in time. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks. I'm going to go eat pasta and drink more wine on my last day. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. We'll see you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Was that cool? Was that fun? And there was actually about five or six minutes that had to get chopped just because of 
international <laughs> line connections and the and the line going dead and all well, technology, whatever. But it was so great uh, to spend some time with her on the phone. She's got a new fan here in your dear host and uh, look forward to seeing her this weekend. Thank you to all of you. We've got some great shows coming up. We've got Zach Martina next weekend. His interview will be recorded this afternoon, and I know it'll be great catching up with Zach, so make sure you get ready for Zach Martina next weekend. The weekend after that, J. Chris Newberg. We've got so many great acts coming into town. Thank you to all of you. Keep spreading the word. Subscribe, subscribe. Tell your friends about it. We'll keep bringing you the top touring comics in America week in and week out as they come through Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle here in beautiful Royal Oak, Michigan. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Joel Fregamini, who does such a great job making this sound good for all you people. I thank you so much. I love bringing these interviews to you. Keep spreading the love. Until next time, this is Tom McCarthy for Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast. Mm -hmm.